gifts that grow. We're in week four out of a five-week series, the penultimate week. That's what it is, penultimate, the last one before the end, I think, um, as, we, as we look at gifts that grow. And today, we're talking about the gift of prophecy. We're looking at the prophets, the prophetic gifts. Before we get into it, by way of just giving credit where credit is due, I've drawn from some brilliant books in putting together a series of messages because this week is part one. Then you'll receive in the broadcast list another uh, document uh, that, that we've written as well. I'll speak to you about that later. And then next week, Sunday, part two of Prophecy as well. These books have been so helpful. Jack Deere, Surprised by the Voice of God, How God Speaks Through Prophecies, Dreams, and Visions. Brilliant book. It's biblically rich. It's experientially rich. And it's full of practical ways that God speaks to us. If you want to know more about prophecy, that's the one to start on, right? This book I've put up, I think, three out of four weeks. Sam Storms, Practicing the Power, Welcoming the Gifts of the Holy Spirit in Your Life. Just a brilliant all-round book on spiritual gifts. So good. As well as um, a chapter from Terry Virgo's book called The Spiritful Church which was just really helpful as well. I love that we get to live in a moment in history where you get to draw from resources like this, hey? And anesthetic, that's also a great moment in history as well. But books like this, if you don't read, I would encourage you, read. There's so much you can learn. And these are, there's also a lot of rubbish out there. So this is a good place to start. Today we're talking about prophets and the prophetic gift. I know for some of you, as you hear that, you go, yes, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to know more about prophecy. Maybe God's spoken to you or through you in the past. Amazing. For others of us, okay, you're a little bit nervous, right? When you hear the word prophecy, you're thinking somebody with long, messy hair, a big beard, bigger than mine, uh, maybe wearing clothes made out of camel hair, even long robes, kind of mystical, strange people, a little bit like Evan Almighty, if you ever watched that show, right, that movie, Evan Almighty, um, I'm hoping to dispel some of the myths around prophecy today, as well as to try and earth prophecy in our lives so that we can live into this as a church. I want to help close the gap today as best I can. The gap between our lives and the lives we, we read about in the Bible. When you read the Bible and you experience the lives of people, you see the, the lifestyle of the New Testament believer, and then you, you compare it with your own experience and your own faith level. I think for many of us, we say there's a gap, there's a disconnect. You ever catch yourself thinking, God, I wish you would work through me like that. Oh, yeah, but, but God doesn't do that anymore. And without realizing it, you become conditioned to read the Bible through the lens of your own personal experiences rather than reading for what God did in those people's lives then and what God could be wanting to do in your life now. The thing is, when you do that, it's hard to read a book day after day where God supernaturally intervenes in the lives of His children but never does in yours. And, and, and this gap grows and grows. Slowly, the Bible becomes a book of abstract truths rather than a guide to how we live with God, who God is, how He works in the world, and how we can partner with Him as He does His work. And slowly, that disconnect comes more and more, and it becomes a bit of a downward cycle. Jack Deere, in his book I spoke about, uh, Surprised by the Voice of God, said this, Most of my life, I've made the mistake of believing God for too little. For the rest of my life, if I have to make a mistake, it's going to be believing God for too much. 
But how can you believe an omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God for too much, especially when he himself says everything is possible for him who believes? And so I want to say, come lean in with me today as we look at the gift of prophecy. Come lean in. Let's believe God for more today for our lives and for us as a church. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed by a living God who is still alive, who is still active, who is still building and growing his church to maturity. That's what our series text teaches. Have a look with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. This is where we've been looking for the last four weeks and next week as well. This scripture speaking to us, Paul writing to the church about what Christ is doing in the midst of the local church. And this is what he says. So Christ himself, who is it? Jesus himself gave, what did he do? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Just follow along with me. Christ himself personally gives gifts to the church. These gifts look like apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. Uh, Jesus himself personally knows what the church needs. Which specific gifts? Which specific people? Why, why does he give these gifts? To equip his people for works of service. So it's not that the church arrives, watches a group of gifted people that Jesus given do all the stuff. That these gifted individuals exist to, to, to raise up and release all of us, the saints, for works of ministry. That the body of Christ would be released, all of us, to grow into, to, to, I'm jumping ahead here, the body of Christ would be released so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's the picture. Jesus himself is head of the church, not distant, aloof, uncaring, forgotten about us. No, no, Christ present, head of our church who gives gifts to the church. What do these gifts, these gifts are, are gifted people. What do they do? They equip us as a church and they, they bring us to maturity. Jesus is the sovereign gift giver. He knows what his church needs and he gives these good gifts. These gifts look like apostles. We heard about them. We heard in a broad enough way last week about evangelism. Uh, shepherd, pastor, teachers, we see uh, a lot of that in our church as well. Uh, but the next two weeks, we're gonna be looking at prophets. Why did Jesus give these gifts? To grow us to maturity. In other words, we need more than what we have as a body. We need more than our own logic and reasoning. We need more than the truth that we've been able to grasp. We need more than our own care and concern. In order to grow into all that Christ has for us, God wants to release something that we do not yet possess in our midst in order to grow and mature us. And as we grow in these gifts that He gives to us, we will grow in stature to the fullness of maturity in Him. That's what God wants for us. But you know that of all the gifts that God gives, do you know that there is one gift that God gives that He encourages the church more than all the others to pursue? And that is the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is mentioned more than all the others, but not only that, it's also three times mentioned that we're to desire this gift more than all the others. Have a look with me, 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll look at it more next week. 1 Corinthians 14 Pursue love. Why pursue love? Remember the chapter before 1 Corinthians 14 is 1 Corinthians 13. It's the famous chapter in the Bible about love. Love is patient. Love is kind, etc., etc. That's 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you want to pursue love? I mean, you, you want to know what love is? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He says, desire these gifts. You, you need these gifts as a church to grow to maturity. Earnestly desire them, especially that you may prophesy. 
So there's all these gifts where to desire them, especially this one in particular, prophecy. Verse 31, the same chapter. For you can all prophesy. If I was one of those like Southern Baptist, like American preachers, I'd say, repeat after me. We'd all prophesy. See the emphasis? Really important. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. It seems to me that Paul has a vision of the church where prophecy is the most prolific gift, where all of us desire all the gifts, but especially prophecy, because all may prophesy. It's why Sam Storms in his book says this, the most important and most challenging spiritual gift to practice and employ in the local church today For the edification, edification, fancy word means building up, building up of all the body is prophecy. The most important spiritual gift to practice and employ is prophecy. So today, we're going to begin our journey in prophecy. Next week, we'll continue it. We'll get practical as well next week. I want to answer four questions this week, three of them in this message. We'll look at what is prophecy We'll look at where we see prophecy in the Bible, and this is very important because if we're going to live into something as a church, we need to see it in the Scriptures. We don't just make up something cool or something that's happening in our world or dream it up. No, no, we as a church want to reflect the Scriptures. So what is prophecy? Where do we see it in the Bible? Then we want to look at what sort of things do prophetic words say? What sort of things do prophets say? And then lastly, how does God speak to His people? And this It's a document that I've written. We're going to put out on our broadcast list. There's simply just too much to say in this meeting. And so we're going to send that out as subsequent reading. And I'd encourage you to read it before Life Group this week. Before our men's meeting this week, Wednesday as well, by the way, guys. Wednesday, 7.30, here at church, men's meeting. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, let's go. What is prophecy? What actually is prophecy? Although the word prophecy appears many times in the scriptures, never once do we get a straightforward definition. When Paul writes to the church about prophecy, he he writes in such a way as he assumes everyone in the church already knows what he's talking about. And so he doesn't have to define it because it's alive, it's at work, and everybody kind of just knows what it is. So we look to the experts here for a definition, and Sam Storms gives us such a lack of simple to understand one. What is prophecy? I define prophecy as the human report of divine revelation. Human report, one component of divine revelation. Prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words, the human report, of something God has spontaneously brought to mind, divine revelation. So helpful, broken down into two parts. The human report. Human report, human element. Something can go wrong. What's that broken telephone between God speaking and our human ears and the humans reporting to another human what's been said. But it's a human report. There's something that you are actively involved in as a human of a divine revelation, something God alone has made known. The Holy Spirit supernaturally discloses information that wouldn't otherwise be available through natural avenues of knowledge. Human report of a divine revelation. Where do we see prophecy in the Bible? Super important. The honest answer is that when you look at the Bible, you discover prophecy everywhere. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, throughout all of history, God has chosen to speak through the vehicle of prophecy. The Old Testament, the first person to be named a prophet in the Old Testament is, in fact, the whole Bible, is Abraham. 
He heard God speak to him of a prophetic future. God gave him a vision, a very clear, a very compelling vision of what God was going to do in the future and what he wanted to do in the world. And as a result, Abraham followed him in faith. And because of that, Abraham's life was completely transformed heck, as well as the world around him too. But Abraham was a prophetic person in that he, God spoke to him prophetically and he lived into that thing. Then you remember perhaps Joseph. Joseph was a, a young man who had a dream, had lots of brothers, had a dream. The dream was of, of, of sheaves of corn and they all bowed down to him. And he told his brothers, where did it get him? Into slavery, sold off into Potiphar's household, found himself in prison where a winemaker and a bread maker, baker, were with him, where they one day had dreams in prison. And Joseph was able to know prophetically what they had dreamt and what they meant for their lives. He interpreted those dreams for them, and there was a plan about the future of things that came to bear. Joseph was a prophetic person. Even Pharaoh, the king's dream, he was able to interpret. It was something about the future that God revealed supernaturally, and Joseph was able to explain. Think of Moses, perhaps the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, of whom Hosea said in Hosea 12, 13, the Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up out of Egypt. By a prophet, he cared for him. Moses was a prophet who heard God speak and led. He received divine revelation from God that he then led and lived off the basis of. Then you think of all the prophets that God used after Moses too. Before exile, how God through prophets warned his people. During exile, how God coached them how to live, how God even spoke to them about when the exile would be over. And then after exile, about how they should rebuild their world and their lives afterwards. God spoke through prophets. And through all of that, God had been whispering through prophets of one who would come, one great prophet who would come later. That prophet is Christ. God speaks through the whole Old Testament prophetically to his people, so much so that we read, Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. You get the idea. Old Testament, full of prophecy. What about the New Testament? The New Testament, well, there's actually prophecy at work before, but, but the big guy we'd start with there is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He came as a prophet to prepare the way for Jesus. He was a bit weird. He was properly wacky. He only ate locusts and wild honey, okay? Lived out in the wilderness there. I get the, the wild honey, but not so much the locusts. But, but he was a prophet sent with a revelation of the future to prepare the way of Christ who was coming. Then Christ, the greatest prophet of all, comes. What does Jesus reveal? Jesus reveals both the person and the plans of God to humanity in a way in which no one else ever had. Jesus came to reveal God to us like never before. But also Jesus ministered in a prophetic way to people too while he w went about his ministry on earth. So think of John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. I don't know if you know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I realize I'm listing a whole bunch of things. Hopefully some of them you would have some context for. But this is a story of Jesus. You read it, John chapter 4 in the Bible. You can download it if you haven't got one. Um, version, a fantastic app to download the Bible for free. And uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. Samaritan, they were outsiders, a lot of, lot of kind of disdain between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus meets her at a well. While he's talking to her, the Holy Spirit gives Christ a revelation, a divine revelation 
of who she is and what she longs for. Jesus gets a window into her life. He, he can see he, he, what he couldn't have known in his natural humanity, the Spirit reveals to him divinely. He says, I, I can see you've had, you've had so many husbands and, 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 and you're searching and you've had so many lovers. You're longing for something. And, 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 and he's able to see this, this deep longing in her for the love of God that she, she hadn't been able to find any other way, that, 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 he, that he couldn't have known in his own humanness, but God by his Spirit divinely opened his eyes prophetically to see. And so Jesus ministered as a prophet as well. But, but then you look at the early church as well. It's remarkable how much the early church was shaped by prophecy. I'm going to just list a few here, and I really want you to know I've scaled this list down tremendously. But Acts chapter 5, Peter prophesies about the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 8, an angel appears and gives direction to Philip. And then the Holy Spirit clearly directs him as to which way he should go. Acts chapter 9, a totally different Ananias this time, is told by God in a prophetic way to go and find this man named Saul and to help him make sense of the encounter with God that he's just had. Then chapter 10, an angel appears to Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, and, uh, and, 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 and sent, tells him to send for this guy named Peter, to whom God appears to in a dream, in a vision, about what God is about to do in Cornelius and all of our lives as well, if you know the story. God speaks and reveals prophetically there too. Basically, Peter receives this vision that all foods are clean and ribs and bacon, praise God, are back on the menu. That's what it came down to. In Acts chapter 11, Agabus, a prophet, predicts, he hears in God, there is a famine coming in Jerusalem. Accurately, it happened, and the church took up a collection of, 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 of finances and goods and were able to meet the needs of that uh, famine that was not yet, had not yet happened, but came to be through what God did in, in Agabus. And I could go on and on and on. The bottom line is, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the New Testament, God has always worked prophetically through people. It would be more surprising if God suddenly stopped working prophetically today because it doesn't fit with how we read the scriptures to be. It's always been the way of God. It was the way of Jesus we saw. It was the way before Jesus. It was the way after Jesus. It was the way before Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It has also been, as we saw in the early church, the way after Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're asking and answering the question, where do we see prophecy in the Bible? It's important because we want to be a biblical people. And we're seeing that the answer is we see it everywhere. And so, if prophecy is a divine, is a human report of a divine revelation, and we see it throughout the scriptures, in fact, we're even told to desire prophecy and that all may prophesy, what sort of things do prophets say? What sort of things do prophetic words say today? Let's jump into it. It's interesting, when you look at Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophecy, they're quite different. It's quite different in the sense, the great difference is that in the Old Testament, prophets looked forward in anticipation of Christ's coming. So the Old Testament 
prophets looked forward in anticipation of Jesus coming. However, in the New Testament, we now look back upon Christ's coming already. So there's a significant difference here in that they pointed forwards towards something that we look back upon and now know to be Christ already. They were looking forward in a confused, kind of blurry way. Uh, what what God was going to do, we now look back and we know. So it's a significant difference. Prophecy in the Old Testament was often one lone ranger crying in the wilderness, speaking God's will to a very hard at hearing people. Now, in the New Testament, quite different. Prophecy now is a ministry given in and through the church to help establish the foundation of the church. I'll speak to that in a second as well as given to believers filled with the Holy Spirit to, through speaking to one another, build up one another's lives. Very different than the Old Testament prophet in the wilderness crying out. This is now a ministry that, that helps establish the foundation of the church, but it is also a ministry given to believers in their one anothering to build up one another so the church can grow into all maturity. Worth just saying, so helpful listening to Terry Virgo preach yesterday at a leader's time. He speaks of three levels, if you will, of prophets. There's the all may prophesy one anothering of prophecy. This is for everyone. Then there's the, um, in the, in the Bible, if you're familiar with it, you'll know of uh, Philip's daughters who, were, who prophesied lots. They're, they're those who excel in this gift, I think, in our story of a Viv Jenkins, the amount of time Viv has shared something in a prayer meeting or in a meeting or in our elders' meetings where, where she's just, she shared something that she, we've been praying about in God and she's been bang on and changed the way we've done too many times that then it's, it's not just an all may prophesy. This is someone who really operates in that gift. And then there's still the office of the prophet, which is what we're reading about in Ephesians chapter 4. These are seasoned prophetic gifts. Uh, Really, there's a few of them that I'm aware of in our wider family of churches. But, but for where I'm really aiming at today is that we would aspire here, all of us, and some of us would want to shoot the lights out more over here as well. Sorry, but a helpful context. Terry explained that yesterday, and it was fresh in my mind. What sort of things do prophets do today? That's the question we're answering. Prophets will, number one, I want to give us three things. Remind the church of our true identity and mission in the world. Prophets will remind the church of our true identity and our mission in the world. They will not allow us as a church to become this sort of inward-focused little holy huddle club who focuses on ourselves and primarily on our own needs while we wait for Jesus to come back and fetch us. Like little rabbits, you know, who go into the little hole and they hide there, hide there, hide there until they're safe. Prophets remind us of our true identity and God's great mission in the world. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and 3 with me. It's a lovely church in the Bible to read about from about Acts chapter 9 or so 10. We read about the church in Antioch. And, uh, and this is what we read here. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. These were great prophets, great teachers, right? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, so God spoke through these prophets, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And they placed their hands on them and they, and they sent them off. And they began to go on these missionary trips which spread the gospel all throughout later on the world, but the immediate region. But here is a gathering of Christians, they're worshiping, and the temptation is, let's all stay together with these amazing gifted teachers and pastors and let's build a mega church. That's the temptation. Let's all stay here and enjoy this amazing thing that we've got, right? 
And yet, as they're worshiping, God speaks through the prophet. He says, no, no, you've forgotten who you are. You're not to be this like a holy huddle club where you exist to just enjoy one another. That's as wonderful as that is. You are, you are th- the, the thrust of God is outward in mission into the world. And so send them off. And off Paul and Barnabas go. It's tempting to stay here and become a megachurch with these uber-gifted people. But the thrust of God is outward in mission. And it's the prophets who remind the church of that. No, no, that's not who you are. You're not a club of inward-facing people. You're, you're, a, you're a, a lighthouse. You're an, you're an NSRI deployed out into the world to go and to rescue and to bring light and hope. The second thing we see that prophets do, if we look at the scriptures, is they encourage and they strengthen the church. You've got to remember that the world in which the, these letters were written These were Christians who were having a hard time. They were being persecuted. They were suffering. Life was difficult. And so the prophets would come. They'd encourage. They would strengthen. It was a message that would put courage into people, would put steel in their spines and their bones. Acts chapter 15, verse 32, we read about Judas and Silas, a different Judas if you're new to the Bible. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, they said much too. What did they do? Encourage and strengthen the believers. Encourage and strengthen the believers. Terry Virgo said it so beautifully. He said, true prophecy builds up, stirs up, and cheers up. That's the one you're going to remember the whole day, right? All these other things. Builds up, stirs up, and cheers up. That's a good one to remember. Prophecy should never condemn and crush people. And the last thing we see prophecy do or prophetic words do is they illuminate answers to problems and they bring direction to our lives. They illuminate answers to problems and direction we should go in. There are times when God shows us the way we should go, times when God gives us an insight prophetically that we would otherwise have have, have never seen in our own humanity. This is more than kind of just an intuition about something. This is divine revelation of something we wouldn't otherwise know. The same way in which Paul and Barnabas received direction as to go, this shapes how we lead and the direction we go. I'm so grateful to prophetic words that shape my life. Last year, my son, 12 years old, you're young and you're listening, this is good. Young guy, working out his faith, loves Jesus, but learning how to love Jesus, baptized in the last year. Anyway, it's not so much about him, but anyway, he's working out what high school should I go to next year? You know, that's the big thing when you're in primary school in grade seven, you've got to know what high school do I go to? That's the big decision to make. And, uh, and he's learning very much to one way. He's leaning very much one way. We as his parents are literally like 51% the other way and 49% the way that he's leading. There's two big schools that are on the radar for him to choose in his mind. And, uh, and we're leaning a smidgen to the right, and he's leaning a whole lot to the left. Why? Because 27 of his best mates are all going this way, right? So that's where he wants to go. So one day I'm, getting, I'm in the car, and I'm driving home with him over the mountain from his swimming lesson that he does. And, um, and he says to me, Dad, I, I, I want to go to this school. He's done a total flip. And I say, whoa, whoa, my boy, why, how, how, how? Tell me how, wh- how do we get here? He says, Dad, last night I was praying before I went to bed. I prayed, I said, God, what school, where, where, where do I need to go? Not, not just like, what, what must I do? What school do you want me to go to? Where do I need to go? I want to follow you, God. He said, I thought I was going to close my eyes and go to sleep, and I was going to dream, and I was going to wear like a blazer of that school, or there would be like singing. I mean, that, that would have been a good way to go, right? 
said this. But here's what happened, Dad. He said, the moment I said amen, it's like, it's like I just got this buildup in me of just that I knew. I knew I had to go to this other school. I just, Dad, I knew, like, I, like I, and this is the word. He said, I just know I have, this is what I have to do. And so I want to tell it to you. So he thought that was it. So now I said, okay, okay. Now you've, you, you, you've heard something in God. Now you're bringing it to people that you know and trust. You're telling your mom and your dad. He said, well, I thought it was just done. I said, no, no, no. Now we weigh this together and we talk about this a little bit more. But here's my boy and he prays in God. He's 12 years old last year, hey? Working out what he believes. And God just speaks to him in this way that he just knew something. And I asked him about it this morning before I preached. I said, my boy, tell me the story again and would you mind if I share it? And he said, yes, and he told me the story. And I just watched the way he lit up and telling me, Dad, I just, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Not in a way like you, you just decide or whatever. It's something that came to him that galvanized him. And he needed it because he said goodbye to a whole bunch of his closest mates. A lot of courage to do that. And, uh, and, and he is just flourishing. It was the right thing in him anyway. God can speak to him. God can speak to you. I think of our church. You know how our church has been shaped by so many prophetic words? Do you know that there was a time in history, about 20, 2007 or so, Common Ground was one local church that met in the suburb of Rondebosch. But God was alive and God was at work and people's lives were being changed and more and more people were coming and God was just doing something. There was much like what we are experiencing. God is at work. We worship God speaking. There's just life in the midst of us. And God spoke to Rigby on a prayer walk. Rigby is doing his Tuesday morning prayer, weeks like he, prayer walks like he always did. And just God speaks this phrase. Plant this church deeper into the city and wider into the culture. He hears this phrase. Like, not, nowhere from. Deeper into the city, wider into the culture. Which is quite nice and memorable. It's very clear. It's very concise. Deeper into the, the city and wider into the culture. But it's also very like, confusing as to what it actually means. It's quite mysterious, deeper into the city, wider into the culture. It's sticky, but what does it mean? A month later, a church in, the, in somewhere else in South Africa is in their church prayer meeting, and they're praying for Common Ground Church. And God gives a lady in this church a picture of what is called a hen and chicken plant. I'd never seen a hen and chicken plant before I moved to Burg Road, but here's what it looks like. Up comes this little like grass bush like this with roots down the bottom, and then... It sticks out this runner, underground, underground. You wouldn't even know it's there, underground, underground. Pops up over here, and there is a little bush with more roots like this, whatever. You'd think that's a own, its own little bush, and you'd think this is own, except underground, they're connected to this. And then another one comes, and pretty soon, this hen and chicken plant, all connected under the ground, is popping up, looks on its own like a plant, but totally part of this wider ecosystem. At that stage, there was no such thing as multi-site church, or if someone was doing it, it was generally like one big super preacher guy with a TV camera who was broadcasting to all these other places that would pop up. But it certainly wasn't one in, you know, individual plants like that. And that word came together with deeper into the city, wider into the culture, and the leaders began praying and working out. And suddenly, Common Ground Ronnebosch planted Common Ground inner city, then planted Constantiaburg. Durbanville, Weinberg, Langer, Greenpoint, Bloberg, South Penn was planted by Constantiaburg, who was planted by Rondebosch. Eleven churches, eleven common ground churches were planted in eleven years between 2009 and 2022. Eleven years, something like that, somewhere there. That wasn't like strategy. That wasn't like, hey, how do, how, do, how, do you, how do you multiply? It wasn't like we read some leadership textbook and did this. God spoke. And little by little, we tried to just obey and, 
and do what we could step by step. And God did an extraordinary thing in our midst. And we as a church exist because of the prophetic words that came to those guys then. I tell you these stories because I want you to know God can still speak to you today. But God can speak to us today as well. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds to hear your voice as a people. Help us hear your leading for our lives and for your future. How does God speak to his people today? Well, sometimes if we're honest, his voice is drowned out by competing voices. All of us, at times we're confused. God, are you speaking to me? Is this you or is this something else? And I, I want to say to you, besides the voice of God, there are at least three other vo voices that speak to us as well. And, and I'll, I'll talk you through them now as we're coming into land. The first is the voice of our own human thoughts and emotions. The voice of our own human thoughts and emotions. Human beings are incredibly complex beings. We've been made so by God. But it means that we, we think and we feel. Now just try for a second and not think and feel. I want you to sit there. I'm going to give you three seconds. Three seconds. I want you to not think about anything. You think about nothing and feel nothing. On your mark, get set, go. You all failed miserably, hey? We all did. Because you, even, even then you'll be thinking about not thinking about anything. Hey? Wondering and then wondering, how, how am I doing? Am I really not thinking about anything? It's impossible. To be human is to live with a constant stream of consciousness, of thoughts, of feelings, of desires, of hopes. All of these things that we are constantly speaking to our souls. We live to the soundtrack of our own thoughts. And, uh, and it's why we need to speak to ourselves the right things as well. But the voice of your own thoughts and emotions, that can get very, is this God, is this me, is this you? The voice of darkness, the voice of the devil, the voice of the enemy. The Bible says that the devil both lies to us as well as accuses us. That's a voice that speaks to you as to how it works. What I'm is you're going to hear that, you're going to feel that, you're going you're you're to be under the influence of those things, of lies and accusations. They speak to us. The voice that comes through the pressure that we feel from others our family, our friends, the pressure of society, the influence of the world that speaks to us. Andre Duretas just resigned. ESCOM load settings higher. What am, sh should I be thinking of going elsewhere? All, all the time, speaking to you, gnawing away. You wake up in the morning, it's here. I feel it, so do you. Sometimes we mistake the voices of others for the voice of God. If, if, if that is not God speaking, in what ways does God speak to us? And here's where we do something a bit different. I've written a doc that I'd love to send to you to read on your own as to all the ways in the scriptures that God speaks, has spoken to people as a way of understanding how God speaks to you. We're gonna send it out tomorrow in the broadcast list. It's too much to look at in this meeting. Um, but I'd encourage you to read it before Life Group as well. So know that it's coming. If you want it, make sure you're on the, on, the, um, on the broadcast list. Let's put this all together as we land. We know that prophecy is a human report of a divine revelation. We also can see as we look at the scriptures, I wish I had time to look at church history as well, but God has spoken this way throughout the scripture time, throughout history, as well as through church history. It wasn't always called prophecy. They didn't always have the language of the New Testament to articulate it that way. But God would speak clearly in those ways, even through church history. And that God wants to continue to speak that way in and through his church. But can I land by pointing out one big mistake that I think we make when it comes to this? 
Often we think that the people that God uses the most prophetically or the most powerfully, that He uses that, them th- that way because they're the most holy. We equate tremendous fruitfulness in prophecy or, or God using them in power with their personal holiness. And we assume that because God is powerfully working through them, it must be because of their exceptional levels of holiness. And I want to say to you that it does not work like this. These gifts that we're talking through all happen by grace, not by personal holiness. These gifts are given to us by grace. I have witnessed in my life, as have many of you, I'm sure, people whom God has powerfully used who have been really ungodly in other areas of their lives. I've witnessed churches and movements where there have been powerful reports of what God is doing, and yet really wonky theology that underpins a lot of it. God does these things. God ministers in these grace gifts like prophecy because He does it graciously through our lives, not because we're getting everything right. Think of the example of Samson. Samson was so mightily and powerfully used by God in supernatural, extraordinary ways. And while that was going on, day by day, his heart was growing further from God as he drifted off, and eventually it came and bit him. But don't correlate levels of personal holiness. Don't think because I'm preaching today that I'm the most holy in the room. Can I just be blunt with you? I'm not. I do not claim to be. I'm preaching because I believe God has called me to and because He graciously has enabled and empowered me to. But it's got nothing to do with the levels of personal holiness in my life. That said, I'm not hiding any kind of secret sin. I want you to know that. I'm also not encouraging us to licentiousness and debauchery. But I want you to know this is a ministry of grace. God uses us in His grace. I I preach not because I'm confident in how holy I've been this week, but because I know my life is hidden in Christ. That Christ was holier on my behalf, and I have a holiness that I have because I'm in Christ that is holier than I could ever try and muster in and of my own strength. And this is important for you as you start to say, God, would you speak to me? Because you know what will happen? If you don't get this, you'll start to think like this. If I can just be holier, then God will speak through me more. And that's not how this works. It will become a barrier to God working through your life. When your life, when you understand my life is hidden in Christ, there is nothing that I could do to make myself more holier than Christ has already made me. In fact, even when I try and become more holy, all I'm really doing is appropriating the holiness that Christ has already produced for me and in me. Therefore, God, graciously, would you speak even through me rather than in my personal holiness. Please don't disqualify yourself. Please don't think if I just do enough of this, if I just do this and I just do this. God, these gifts are grace gifts. They're not gifts based on personal levels of, I don't know, Turbo Christianity. We need God by His grace to pour out His Spirit upon our lives and anoint us more than we ever deserve. Because that's the truth. None of us deserve this. Not even a little bit. 
but Jesus gives it to us graciously. That's why we can boldly ask these things. That's why we can say, gifts that grow, common ground, South Penn. Yes, Lord, because he is gracious and he is good. Can we stand together? Can I pray for us? Come, let's bring faith to Jesus. Which, which mistake are you going to make? Trusting God not enough or trusting God too much? Can you ever? God, would you, Father, Father, thank you that you know what we need as a church. Jesus, you personally, for Christ himself gave, you personally know what we need as a church, what I need as a Christ follower. More than that, what my brothers and sisters around me need even through my life. Remember, the gifts are not given to me personally. They're given through me to those around me. Jesus, you know what my brothers and sisters around me need. Oh, Lord, especially that they may prophesy. I saw your word today. That all may prophesy. I saw that, God. See that it's by grace, in spite of my holiness or lack of it. Because of your holiness, Christ, on my behalf, Jesus, would you empower my life the gift of prophecy. Jesus, would you speak to us more and more as a church? God, we want to be the kind of people who hear your voice, who are able to discern between the voice of our world, the voice of the enemy, and the voice of ourselves as well, Lord Jesus. Would you teach us, Lord, coach us. I pray that we'd be the kind of community, especially our life groups as well, where we'd be a safe place for people to learn and make mistakes. We learn by failing forward and, and getting things wrong and maybe being a little bit embarrassed at times, God. Would you give us courage to be able to, to, to lean into you more and more? And God, would you speak to us? Would you give us divine revelation that we would be able to humanly report? Help us to more and more discern you, you speaking, what you're saying to us. Put faith in our hearts, God, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We're asking you as a church for more than we possess in and of ourselves because you've called us to the enormous and glorious task of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How, how arrogant it would be to think we could do it on our own. And so we say to you, Holy Spirit, release your gifts. Holy Spirit, empower our lives. We're humble enough to declare we haven't got what it takes on our own and hungry enough to ask you for the things that we lack, Lord. And so, God, will you release prophecy? And I pray for, I pray for those in particular who think, no, it's not, not going to be me. It must be for other people. So God, I pray you'd speak to them now. We'd be, into, be able to hear God in your experiences in life as you read his word and as he just inter, intervenes in your life. Jesus, may we be a people who hear your voice, who follow your leading and experience your power today, Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what we need, that you could give good gifts to your church and that you are with us and at work in us, teaching and training and maturing us, Jesus.